Hello and welcome back to W Rated, the podcast where we willingly watch the world's worst rated movies. In today's episode, we delve into the next film on IMDb's bottom 100 list, welcoming a new special guest. But for any new listeners, my name is Daisy and as always, I'm joined by the podcast's co-creator, editor and host, Claire. How are you doing, Claire? Uh, I'm doing okay uh, to date the episode. I am recently COVID free. It, it, it is nice to be COVID free. How many days did you end up? 13. I was testing 13. positive for 13 days. Unlucky for some, <laughs> not for you. Well, it was very unlucky because my husband only tested positive unlucky. for five days. <laughs> oh, and was that in the middle of your... Yeah, she yeah, tested later rough. and tested out quicker. Oh, that's rough. That's rough going, but... You're back. I'm back. You're COVID free. My podcast career continues. There was a Yay. concern at one point I would never be able to speak again. <laughs> it could have been an early retirement, but no, I, not, you heard not to my worry. Voice, didn't you? I, I did. You sent me a voice note, and it was quite. I, I have to say, when I pressed play and I heard your voice for the first time, I did. I, I, I like gasped and laughed because <laughs> it, <laughs> I just didn't expect to hear it like that. It wasn't my usual Claire, and it sounded like you had like knives in your throat, which that's I'm pretty sure you said like. that that's exactly what it felt like. So yeah, I uh, any any sort of like slack I was getting in terms of mask wearing and forgetting and things, it soon <laughs> soon soon you know returned out of fear. Um, so yeah, glad you're back. Glad you're back. And we as as we said, we have a new special guest joining us today. Um, film critic and podcast guest extraordinaire is James Rodriguez. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Hello, people. We've been so excited to have you. We just had a quick chat before we started recording, and um, we're so grateful for the amount of time you spend listening to our podcast mm-hmm. and getting involved. You watch a hell of a lot of the films that we cover, and um, before we uh, before you listen to the episode, um, have you had any had any favourites so far, or any? I know you mentioned to us ones that you'd avoided, but anything you want to share? Um... Of the films you covered, I say I was quite surprised by I Know Who Killed Me and Bratz. Um, oh, yes. I, I was like, yes, and then I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Claire doesn't. Claire's not on the Bratz team. I'm not on the Bratz team. <laughs> uh, no, I just, um, well, let's face it. When you've got some films like Disaster Movie in there, it does <laughs> little bit of no sunshine which comes through feels like a pot of gold. Yeah, I think no one would be surprised if I was to say that I think the parody films deserve deserve their own separate bottom list, Mm -hmm. like even further down (laughs) than the worst. That they can't be considered movies. I listen. I'm I'm generally quite open minded, but. It's making me close-minded, for sure. <laughs> for sure. But we're not talking about a parody film today. Thank God. We are talking about a new film that we haven't actually mentioned on the podcast before in terms of things that we're looking forward to or or etc. But we have mentioned the director a few times, so we have been anticipating this one. James, do you want to tell us what the film is and if you have any kind of relationship to it um, before going in watching it? Okay, so the film we're covering is Blood Rain, an adaptation of the video game of the same name from prolific director Uwe Boll, who's often referred to as the world's worst film director. Not by us, just saying. Mm. We have not made that statement because you may Only because I haven't seen the films yet. (laughs) No, no. 
listeners may or may not know that this man has previously challenged people who give his films bad reviews to physical fistfights. So I am just, you know, I'm a small woman. I have not said anything. (laughs) James can say what he wants. Daisy can say what she wants. I've got I've got got the punch bag ready. I'm training. I'm training just in case, just to get a head start. Because if I do say anything, I've like kind of preempted before he even knows about it, you know? Ninja approach. Um, That's No, it's mainly because I've never seen his films before. (laughs) Well, I've seen, with this Blood Rain, I've seen three of Mm -hmm. his films. Okay. Are they the bottom 100 trilogy? Now... I'm not sure which other films are in his of his are in the bottom one hundred. Alone in the dark and in the name of the king. I've not seen those two actually. Ah, oh, and House of the Dead. Oh, oh, and House of the that, Dead. That's yes. one of the ones I've seen. Ah, he must be the most commonly featured director. I think so. Mm. And I mean, and as James said, he is known. Like, there's a whole Guardian mm. article entitled is like is he the world's worst director but is he the worst because of his personality versus i definitely don't think that helped but it does (laughs) it does seem to be specifically the films in this case interesting stay Mm. tuned for more (laughs) yes he is a director whom his personality is quite abrasive he's quite known for responding to his critics in childish and insulting ways, saying stuff like, go fuck your mother, and using horrible ableist slurs. And But if you take separate the art from the artist, look at his films in the vacuum on their own right, yeah, he probably does deserve that title. (laughs) You heard it here first, or not really first. Probably like (laughs) 300,000. But still, first, first time on the podcast? No, not even that, I don't think. <laughs> Protect yourselves now. Get training for our fist fight with Uber Ball. Um, so, so as James mentioned, this is the um, uh, the Uber Ball directed Blood Rain. It came out in 2005. Um, it's a German-American joint production. It's a fantasy action horror film, and it's set in the 18th century in Romania, believe it or not. Whether it looks like that or, or not, I'll, we will discuss. Um, it stars Kristana um, Loken. You may recognise her from Terminator 3. She was also in one of his other films, which you mentioned in The Name of the King. Um, Matthew Davis is also a relatively recognisable face from Legally Blonde and Pearl Harbor. Michelle Rodriguez, Fast and Furious franchise. And of course, very well-known um, actors, Billy Zane, Michael Madsen, Ben Kingsley and Meatloaf. All right. There's quite a stacked cast there, guys. Like when it started, considering and the like cast was coming up, I was like, "Damn, every, this is stacked!" Every time, like, hello, you just like lean further forward, like, you know that James Franco gift <laughs> when he like stands up. Like, what is this? I was, I had no idea the cast that was in this. To be completely so honest with you, going in, I had no I, idea about this I film. I had just seen the poster, yes, because of the list, um, and then. 
when I, I invited James on, it was James that mentioned it was like vampires and comic book and um, mm. video games. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll like this. But then I looked at the post and I was like, maybe, maybe I won't. Maybe I won't. <laughs> when I saw Ben Kingsley, I was like, oh, Ben Kingsley, what are you doing, mate? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so many questions. James, I just want to find out before we go into, into that section of the podcast. Had you watched the film before? What was the kind of relationship you had with it? And I guess the other the other films you've watched from the same director. Okay, so in my life, I've watched three of Uwe Boll's films. I hadn't watched Blood Rain, I must admit. I decided to go for this film because I thought, well, why not? I like vampires. Well, lose. Exactly. It's just a film. <laughs> it's not going to actually kill me or anything. Um, <laughs> it's not gonna hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> it won't bite. Mm. I mean, of his previous two yeah. films, <laughs> House of the Dead, I was not a fan of, but there is one line reading which just still makes me laugh, which I'll let you discover for yourselves when you watch the film. Great. I'm looking forward to that one. And the other one, <laughs> Seed, is like the fourth worst film I've ever seen. Oh, ironically, Seed is not on the list. Yeah, I think I think that's because not a lot of people have seen it. Not enough people have and seen that's it. Because all of the films uh... that are on the list are adapted from... Well, the mm. Dragon one, I don't know if it is, but I the other three are all adapted from video is. games. Mm. So I think that's also like, we'll come into like, why do we think this is on the list later? But I do think, yeah, there's a big portion of when you're adapting a different piece of media, you automatically have an inbuilt fan base or in this case, an inbuilt <laughs> critic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, precisely. And yeah, I guess if Seed's an original, then yeah, people won't have sought it out in the same way. That makes sense because mm. a lot of other films he did has also been sequels to his video game films. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hmm. It's interesting. We can go go into a bit further detail about why he picks those, if he picks them on purpose or, or not, and whether he cares about the fan base. Spoiler: He does not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just ahead of going into spoiler territory, and, you know, diving into the film itself, um, it is number twenty nine on the bottom one hundred. So you know, not the worst, not the best that we well say best. Very loose terms. Um, <laughs> it's was three- great. We did like it. anything that's like Girly. basically undermined purely because it's female, fr- like fronted or like, uh, you know, I, um, I can't think of words at the moment. I was about to say attacked. That is not <laughs> <laughs> like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Made no like made, just like made for women, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't deserve to be on there, but that's <laughs> a separate Chat. Uh, um, but yes, misogyny. it's got three three points. Mm-hmm. Ah, misogyny. <laughs> but yes, Blood Rain has got a three point two um, on IMDb. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can chat about our ratings at the end. But in terms of what we felt about the film, going into spoiler territory now. So if you haven't seen it and you want to see it, give us a pause. Come back once you've seen it, and now you can hear all about. It's currently James. on Amazon Prime. It, oh yes, we watched it on Amazon Prime. I'm glad I didn't have to. Pay or rent this one. <laughs> I had to. I had to VPN because Amazon Prime in Ireland. Shit. Oh really? It tells you. I mean, it's available, and then you click on it, and it's like, haha, not in your country. Psych. Boo. I mean, when it's when it's these films, I wonder if it's actually like protecting you. <laughs> it's like anyway, guys. What did we think about the film? I'm gonna. I'm gonna start with James first as our guest. Give us. Give us your overall thoughts. Going into Blood Rain. Well, after watching Blood Rain. Um, I think it's a bag of shit. 
And that concludes today's episode. <laughs> Almost did a spit take. Oh. <laughs> Wrong time to be having a quiet little off <laughs> Tell us more, James. Unravel this bag of shit, please. Um, okay, um, because when you've got a bag of shit, you want to unravel it. <laughs> um, watching the film, it felt like something which knows it wants to get from point A to point B, but it doesn't have an interest in showing the journey in between. And it mm. does this weird thing where it shows point A after point B because and uses some <laughs> hazy looking flashbacks. As though- why? Why? I've said this before on the podcast. Flashbacks for no reason in films mm. is now my number one cinema scene. Just stop it. Just stop it. Just linear film unless it's, there's a point to it. Oh, I agree with you completely. <laughs> it... no, no apologies necessary. <laughs> but this just feels like... Uwe Boll has this thing where he gets great cast to work with him, but... How? I don't know. It's... That's my question. I don't know. Are they paid well? Well, what, well, what I will say, like, again, this maybe was better for later, but it kind of feels relevant to come up now. Like, Michael mm-hmm. Madsen, who is quite a big name, has worked on, like, tons of Tarantino films and, like, just yeah. a whole wealth Especially of Especially the sort of time that this was made as well, like, coming name. to the back of the 90s. He has said to this film, I think the word he used was an abomination, as he described this film. <laughs> but in the same quote, he also said he would happily work with Uwe Boll again. He said he really enjoyed working with him and would work with him again. So that tells me that he must be an enjoyable person to work with. The energy on the set must yeah. be all the energy in the pitching room or something. He must have, Hamstring. at least with actors, a good vibe. Because if yeah. this guy is like, mm. this film is one of the worst things I've ever made. But love the guy would come back. Like, like, like an Ed Wood thing where he was reportedly mm. so nice and lovely to work with. But his films were... Not well received, to say the least. Yeah. And I wonder if that's why he kind of gets his back up about people criticising him. Because he's like, look, I'm just trying to have a good time. Like, I mm. make films, like, piss off. But then obviously there is another layer where he sounds like a ho- like he's quite horrid about it. Mm. But I but wonder if I that's where it comes from. people are constantly from. telling you you're a piece of shit, that must get on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting take. But yeah, that's that, that Michael Madsen quote mm. is is very funny uh <laughs> in terms of in terms of the fact that he would work with him again it's, it sounds he sounds like a very interesting chap this this Uvival. um in terms of the story um it is as we mentioned it's the 18th century set in the 18th century claire mentioned it's about vampire so a vampire well a t- type of half vampire a dampier um, escapes from um sort of like a circus kind of um she's sort of trapped in like a like a freak show kind of like um setup um and basically teams up with a group of vampire slayers to kill the man who raped her her mother um so aka her father without you know giving too much away because that that's exactly how she became a half vampire half human because the man who raped her, quote unquote, Ben Kingsley, is a vampire. And the way I've explained that is just as confusing as the way that they reveal all of that information in the film, mm-hmm. which is kind of why I feel like I explained it like that, because I'm trying to think about how I watched it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, they do they do that bit. And then they reveal that bit. And then they reveal that bit. 
um, which in some, I, I have to have to admit, in some films it works because it's giving you these little bits of information, keeping you interested, like, you know, but then I don't know, like James, you said, it just doesn't seem to work. It feels very messy. Yeah, it feels like Uwe Boll's just trying to not take the simple route of um, doing the film linearly and... And, mm. But he's doing it to be arty for the sake of it. And as a result, it just feels right. so, as you said, messy. Um, mm. And for example, I've take when we see Rain and she's had her blood rage. She's shocked by what's happened. She's screaming in the aftermath. You think, okay, this is going to lead into her accepting her powers and being able to utilize it in better ways. So the very next scene we see after she's so shocked by it is just her stumbling across vampires and then just being like, fuck it, I'm going to slaughter them out of my own choice. <laughs> it just feels like two different characters have been smushed together in this one entity and it doesn't feel like there's any progression shown on 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 the screen for her. Mm-hmm. Claire, I know that you're a big fan of vampires and vampire literature and media mm. what was your initial what was your initial reaction with the film and did you feel the same about characters i think so like because i didn't i wouldn't say i particularly enjoyed the film but not for any of the reasons that i thought i wouldn't enjoy it mm. um i don't think based on the poster i had any realization it was set in medieval mm. times me neither no idea we, we've all had a little private discussion because i originally one of the top three ideas for our daisy versus claire was medieval films and as we discovered i have seen literally one medieval film no sorry can you please share what you actually called it because you forgot the word for medieval oh, yeah. ye oldie film <laughs> <laughs> Because I did, I did not know. One day we need to do it purely because I love the name of the. the yeah, but my, my idea was ye oldie time movies, um, and yeah, <laughs> apart from the last duel, the only other films I've seen set around that. that time are Disney movies. So I was like, oh god, um, so that instantly kind of made me go, oh okay, um, and the whole thing to me felt like an episode of Xena Warrior Princess. Mm, I haven't seen or, it, but I mean, it, 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 that vibe. It, the screen and, caps I've seen, I can. And like, I don't know, like, again, if anyone ever watched like things like Charmed and even mm. Buffy when they did like flashback episodes or like in Charmed when they'd go oh, back yeah. in time. I know like, exactly what you mean. That whole vibe, like the, it, the the look of this film and the 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 quality of the screenplay and even the quality of the direction. All 90s felt like TV something show. that would be a late 90s, early 2000s TV yeah. show. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, but they are working on much smaller budgets in much smaller timeframes with like yeah. much different things. When you're working on a feature film, you have bigger budgets, you have more time, you expect more. Mm. So I think I was surprised in that aspect about the quality of it in that way. I think I expected bad quality script or bad quality acting, mm. but actually just all over. And I don't know if that is just because that's my only knowledge of those kind of eras those time eras is that kind of tv like i never watched xena but it used to be on all the time and mm. i was like oh if you told me this was an episode of xena i'd just be like yeah okay. yeah apologies to xena point, fans because i think i just insulted them all because <laughs> <laughs> no, i think i make you right because i think we're so used to period set pieces which are 
big and sweeping and mm-hmm. epics and you know really looking cinematic and really vast and and this was felt very small and contained and very static in terms yeah. of the camera and, and yeah very even bring it back to the the characters which i think was actually what you asked me <laughs> like they who knows felt... i don't remember what i say after i say it <laughs> they felt like they were out of a tv show as well in that like i felt like i'd missed their characters i felt like mm. i'd like missed a big chunk that i was meant to know who they were already mm. because they come in and like that can really work sometimes they came in and they seemed really established and it felt like you were meant to know who the stone people i can't remember the name of them now um the the secret group are and you're meant to know what a damn here is and all of this stuff automatically and i was like I missed the the first episode of the show. Mm. Like, what what's what's happening? I felt like I'd been that resonates so much. Yeah, mm. I f- yeah, it definitely feels like. Sorry, go on, James. No, it's all right. I just I think they try and make up for that in ways by clumsily inserting some expository dialogue all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a scene mm-hmm. where Michael Madsen and the Rogue and Michelle Rodriguez are just riding on the horses. You see them from the background, and there's like plenty of dialogue ADR in there and mm-hmm. it just felt like yeah you did this because you were afraid audiences wouldn't know what the hell was going on didn't you and, and, and we didn't mm-hmm. even with it <laughs> to be honest no I mean and it, it, you're right it, it like, what it does I think in other films that you you've said sort of said it can work well and I think it's because it doesn't spoon feed the audience it lets them piece together the, the puzzle and kind of zoning on characters that have lived before and will live after the film this however felt like which you've you've already alluded to the middle episode the mid like a, like a mid-season episode of something we, we haven't seen the before and we won't see what happens afterwards well and i wondered like i spent a lot of time today trying to figure because i was like oh was it because I don't know the source material, like I've not read, yeah. I've not played the game, I've not played the comic, read the comic. Why can I talk in the wrong way? I'm like mixing all my words up. I have not played the games and I have not read the comic books. Um, I haven't played the games or read the comic books. And you should um, do that as your little like preamble for going on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like this practice. Oh, I might do brain, that. My brain. Um. So I don't have any knowledge of these characters. And like, so maybe the intention was that the audience already would and they'd be like, oh yeah, this is Rain and we already know the backstory. But the game is set in World War II Germany. This is a prequel to the game series. Oh. So, so yeah, the game, the, 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 there's three games and they all start in Nazi <sighs> Germany so and she's sense. attacking Nazis. So this film was written as a prequel to it. So I was like, oh, well then right. no, people wouldn't know anything about this. You know, like, Funny okay. thing about all that. Right. Funny thing it's about that. Uwe Boll directed a trilogy of these Blood Rain films. So you have this first mm-hmm. one. The third one is Blood Rain, the Third Reich. So Nazi Germany. And it's, yeah, in, yeah. The second one is a Western with a vampire Billy the Kid. Oh. oh, well, and there is okay. also a sort of um, fourth one. I don't know if either of you know about oh. the sort of spin-off. I don't know much about any of yes. it, to be honest. So <laughs> James, James has got it. Flubberella. 
an Uwe Boll directed parody of his own film called oh. Blubberella, um, where the main character of Rain is played by an overweight woman and all of the jokes are fat jokes. Um, and you can, I think it is available on Amazon Prime. I only watched the trailer and the trailer was enough. The trailer, like, this is why he's me. the worst director. The the actress kind of got people kind of being like, why would you want to be in this? And in fairness, she was like, there are no roles for overweight women. It's really hard to get a role for an overweight woman. Someone was mm. going to do it. Why should I not get that paycheck? And now she's but, got notoriety. notoriety yeah, she did it. say mm. that she did try really hard to get them to change the name and she lost that battle. That was, That is her big thing. She's like, I hate the, the name of it. Uh, but yeah, so like, I mean, fair play to him. We do a lot of parodies in this film. We talk about how... The parodies have no heart because they don't know their source material. Uwe Boll's like, I'll parody my own film. Thank you very much. It's just... I'm just... Sorry, I'm just looking it up now because I'm... It feels quite sadistic that you're just going to parody your own film to cast an overweight actress and then just poke and prod her and make her the butt of the joke, which seems like the entire film's purpose. Especially because if that's the only thing that's changed... That is such a it's very precise. Like, it's very silly. Um, I feel like it's more than that. I feel like it was just a big fuck you to the fans of the games. Like, oh, you didn't like my films because you didn't think they took the source right. material well enough. Well, let right. me show you. Like, uh, you thought the first, you thought the ones I cared about were bad. Let me really fuck up this favorite character. Of right. yours. Wow. That's how I took it. <laughs> what a man! I wouldn't be surprised that's... if that's how it happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, there's like a free and a spin-off parody of these films, and yet it's only the third one that takes place in World War II Germany, which is where the original game, and I think at least the second game maybe as well, if not all three, take so place. So that makes total sense, because this feels like a film that's part of, as we said, like either a middle episode, mid-season episode, or like as a film, part of a series, but not the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a prequel. Yeah, it's, no one it's, like an, or, it's an origin story, but not an origin story that's made for people to watch first. You know, there mm. are you know there there are ways of watching big franchises when it comes to films that were, were released, but all but set at different times or chronologically and stuff. I'm fully, I always watch stuff in the order it was released because they were made to be watched that way yeah. as opposed to the other way. And once you've got familiar with the material, that's absolutely fine, like, in my opinion, but you can do what you want. But this explains why it's like, oh, this was a, this is made as a prequel but done first. And it's just, yeah. Perfectly summarises my issues with the confusion and just weird discomfort of, I feel like I'm supposed to really not care about these characters, but at least understand or care about the law or something. It just feels like oh, I've just you, missed, missed a trick of some kind. You said in our 2022 Razzie episode that you love a film with law, and I completely I love disagreed with you. So I was wondering, like, did you enjoy the law in this? Because I, I did. didn't even understand it. <laughs> I did enjoy the law when it wasn't being just told to me. In, this in is L O R E, just in case anyone yeah. understands that my terrible accent. Or <laughs> L O R E. <laughs> in terms of like, just over expository dialogue if that's the right word i can't think of how to say it um because no, it was just right. like i was i was like, i like the idea of the damp fears i think that's really cool like i just feel like there was so much more they could have done and they kind of just my problem with this film is that it could have been quite it could have been quite fun could have been quite or 
campy. It could have been like really quite dark and quite gritty, but instead it's just really boring. Well, that's it's an R-rated movie. I don't think I don't know. I assume I didn't see the R-rated cut. I watched whatever version is on Amazon, and it didn't feel R-rated to me. But the film isn't eighteen, as far as I'm aware, and has an uncut version available. I think maybe on DVD. Um, there are like three scenes of like quite gut gnarly violence. But when I say scenes, I literally mean like two second shots. And then there's like a sex scene where she gets naked. It was, and it's not even full frontal; it's her chest. But like, I would have gone nastier in every way. If, if it looked gonna... like it should be, like, yeah, mm. like I'd go really like smutty with the sex or really violent. And like, if you could have done so much with the violence in this, you could have gone to town. Yeah. And it feels, I would have assumed it had been cut out to get a lower rating. But I'm not sure if that's true. It 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 felt like they like a couple of times were like, oh, let's just do something really gnarly here. But I was like, this actually would have been much more interesting if it was all really gnarly. Yeah. I and mean, you could have maybe gone cult classic because people love a gnarly film. Mm. Yeah, it was all a lot more vanilla than I mm. expected. Just yeah. a bit like sort of clean and it was very like considering like sort of time it was set, it was all very costume drama as mm-hmm. opposed to being an action fantasy film first and then the production is bringing you into the world it kind of felt like they were like watch it because of the world but the world was not done well production wise or, or shot well camera wise so I'm like what am I here for yeah for a film where you have meatloaf in his castle surrounded by many lusting women women it feels quite yeah vanilla is the right word they yeah. were Plain. real romanian prostitutes though mm-hmm. they were as well yeah yeah even even like how could you fuck it up that bad like you've got there's been a lot of complaints about that like oh that's so sordid because he only used them because they're cheaper but then actually like loads of films have done that apparently i did a bit so I, oh. if, you're, if you're scandalized by that do a little bit of research actually really common um because they're still getting paid they're getting great this is want. what i mean how is it sordid it might it might be something that actress actors are affronted by but it shouldn't be sordid because sex work isn't sordid they're no. still being paid for their time it's not like he didn't pay them well yeah. we don't know but that's not what is reported yeah, and like so, in um, Event Horizon, Eyes Wide Shut, and Nymphomaniac, just to name three that I found on a lovely uh, Reddit forum discussing this, um, they all used sex workers for the more graphic mm. sex scenes because they were comfortable doing it. Yeah, they're, they're the professionals. Yeah, so like, because when I saw that originally that he had used um, prostitutes to play prostitutes, I was like, oh come on, that's a bit like. Ugh. But then I, when you look into it, I was like oh, actually, that makes sense. And if they're happy to be there and they're getting paid mm. and they're comfortable and they treat them well on set, mm-hmm. yeah, well, why not? Yeah, what's the, the same difference is like getting stunt people mm-hmm. to do the stunts. That's yeah. what they do. So if they're the expert, you know, some actors and actors do their own stunts, but it's not, you know, I'm sure people wouldn't be turning their nose up if it was cheaper for people for a stunt person to do something rather than someone else. I was about to say rather and than that, Tom Cruise, but he does all of his own stuff. That's, so that's, that's also no. exactly why stunt workers do it. It's not just the skill. It's also because they're cheaper and so their insurance is cheaper because if they get injured and they have to go off for six months, production doesn't have to stop. That They mm. literally are there because they cost the production less money. So it is exactly mm. the same. Well done on that okay. stute, uh, 
Comparison, Daisy. Astute observation. Not very good with the comparison, though, when I said about Tom Cruise, but <laughs> there we are. There we are. Um, so um, I don't know if you, what you guys thought about um, the screenplay itself. I've got a little bit of trivia to kick us off, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so Guinevere Turner is the screenwriter. So I'm not sure if you guys have seen her, but she's actually better known as an, an, an actress um, for some people. She she appeared in The L Word for quite a few years, I believe. Um, she also appeared in American Psycho, which she wrote. Yes, mm. she wrote the screenplay for that. Yeah, and she also wrote the notorious Betty Page, which I've heard of as well. Mm. Um, but she, um, so there's, there's like conflicting information, I think probably one from Uber and one from her, but essentially, um, she drafted the screenplay, um, and then Uber just took that and made his own changes and went with it. Whether she turned it in late or whether he just didn't go back for rewrites and work together to create a finished script is kind of in contention, Mm -hmm. but ultimately she wrote one draft which is never used in a film the first draft is never ever used to be shot it's not a shooting script um and then basically there's a there's a quote from him saying he asked the actors to take a crack at it and then uh, apparently turner claims that she estimates only about 20 percent of her script was actually filmed she's still you know credited as the screenwriter I'm pretty sure I don't I haven't got anything written here, but I'm sure I read somewhere that she said she did she had negative stuff to say about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you would regardless, because it's difficult. You want the credit for the stuff that you've done, but then when you look at it and it's not your work, it must be re- a really difficult well, situation also, to be in. It's also easy to discredit yourself from a film that is critically panned. <laughs> I'm sure that makes it a little easier. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I mean for me, I'm like, how can you have had how could you have had a um script by the screenwriter of American Psycho and they'd be like, oh, I'll just change it. Like, what? I know. Yeah, that feels like... It feels like um, discrediting her work and looking down at her in one way. Because you're right, she wrote American Psycho and you're just gonna rewrite the script, rewrite the first draft even, and tell the actors to take a crack at it. Honestly, it fucking shows in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It does. And yeah, I think that sure. that also like feeds into that kind of um, like TV feel to it because like God bless TV writers, American TV writers of like long running TV shows are the hardest working people in the world. Like God bless them, they write twenty two scripts a season and they mm. work hard. Mm. Um, but they do they write those scripts in like under a week, like and it is a script by committee, and they have to just do what they can get out. And that's what this feels like. It feels like they were writing it on the spot in as quick a time as possible and just getting out what they could get out. And the the tonal changes in the film, they're not like whiplashy because it's not like wildly tonal changes, but they also like, it just, there's no, it, there's no consistency to the film. It's like, sometimes she's angry, sometimes she's positive, sometimes she's sad, but you're not really <laughs> sure why she's any of these things in any of the scenes. No. They, she just seems to be existing and like picking a mood in every scene that doesn't flow from one scene to the next. Mm. Yeah. I didn't really understand her character. I didn't know who Mm-mm. she really was. I didn't really know who I, I felt mean, like there was no character. Yeah. I think the rest you could rely on archetypes and stereotypes and kind of understand them. But even so they were so, you know, thinly written and it, it, it's mad really because like it's an hour and a half film there's quite a lot of characters, but you still spend quite, you do spend quite a lot of time with the same 
the same sort of like sort of handful i barely remember the details of the story like in terms of the actual scenes i remember the the story and it's just like i can't remember anything that they they said either i can't really remember all i remember is these sort of like cookie cutter like sorry cardboard cutout so oh yeah that they were the you know the the female one of the group who ends up betraying them and goes rogue okay Mm -hmm. it was all very like top line and stuff and it's interesting because with this kind of setting with this kind of like fantastical lore and stuff you could have done so much with it especially if you're number one not going to care about the source material and number two get a script that you're just going to like be like oh anyway it's just like if you're gonna play fast and loose with stuff at least go further and have some ambition and passion it's just you know it feels like maybe like I doubt I don't know if he was I couldn't find anything in the research of it but like it's almost like he was under a time crunch and he was like we have to get this filmed like now we have to do it quick we have to just like Mm. get it get the film done and out and like I know that the film industry is very complex and you you're given windows wherein you have to release but like this doesn't feel like one of those films that would really be no. subject to those kind of rules. Like, mm. I feel like they would have had time. Maybe it was something to do with locations or actor availability or something. But like it really, reading in, reading into it, it very much does feel like he just he needed that script and he wanted it. And once he had it, he was like, "Let's go, let's go make the movie quick, quick, quick." Mm. And I, it the whole thing does feel like a rushed job. It doesn't feel thought out enough. It definitely it feels like a first draft, and it it, it is. Mm. as i said before the main uh downfall or the main criticism for me is just that it's boring Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i like fantasy but then it also can lose me sometimes if it's a lot of expository dialogue um and this kind of was that talking about not a lot of stuff like it kind of was the same conversation over and over again about who her dad was why she was getting revenge you know other than the subplot of Michelle Rodriguez's character sort of turning against her group because, you know, um, like the, her, Billy her Zane dad, is her yeah, her, her dad like previously ruled over a certain part of the, the, the place or whatever. And now he's kind of like trying to take it again. I can't, I can't even explain mm. to you. I can't, and I remember quite a lot of the films that, we even if I don't ever think I'm going to, once I get into it, Claire's like, Well, you've just explained it now. <laughs> <laughs> this I just really couldn't because just, not a lot actually happens. There's no sense of like urgency in the film. And it's both like within the film, it's setting it up for like this final battle, like she's gonna have yeah. to go up against her dad. But it never like even me saying that sounded more exciting than they make it sound the film. Mm-hmm. She's like, Well, I'm gonna go kill the man that raped raped my mom. He's not my father. I'm just gonna go off and kill him. And like, it's just very like blase like that. Mm. And there's like a yeah. couple of kind of big set pieces in the film, but even they they don't feel exciting or building to attention. There's no there's conflict. Inconsequential mm. is the word yeah. that comes to mind. Yeah, it feels inconsequential. The conflict doesn't feel like it changes anything. And no you don't stakes. Care about the mm. conflict. Yeah, there no stakes. stakes. Wooden there stakes. <laughs> Mm. I am. I am. Yeah, it feels like so much of the film is engineered to be badass and a great moment to throw in the trailer, but it just all feels so hollow and artificial. Hollow. Mm -hmm. 
hollows Definitely. a great word for it. Mm. And like, and it stems for me anyway immediately from her character. Mm. I could not tell you mm. anything about Rain other than she's a dampier who is good at fighting. That is literally the only thing I can tell you about her character. And we spend like ninety nine minutes with her. It's just like you you get introduced to her, and I think it's quite a good introduction because you're like, oh my god, what's happening to this woman? Like she's in you know this set up freak show in um in the carnival and whatever and you know there's talking about blood rages and oh is this going on blah 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 and unfortunately it's like not kept either mysterious enough or you're not let into that character's feelings you just all they do is go here's a label that says damp fear they just go pop that on her and then from then on that is her identity she's got a, a name uh, a, a species and a, and a motive and that is all you know and all you care about the only other thing is th- that you really know about her is that she's good with the swords which she picked up from her friend they're not even hers and she wanted to fuck that guy that she fucked mm. in but the, you know in like listening to that's you, it listening to you say that is so funny because i'm like for a video game that's perfect that's exactly what right. you need for a video game you need an avatar you need to know her species so you know her strengths and yep. her weaknesses. You need to know like some skills, what weapons yep. she carries, and then you're and good what to her go. Mission is. Yeah, you're good to right. go. So it's perfect for a video game character, which makes sense. But they needed to do more. Like it feels weird to, but like it's a video game adaptation. Like the Sonic movie, like that takes Sonic out of the realm and takes him out of the game. He keeps enough of the elements of the game because of, like Doctor Eggman and stuff like that. But, like, it also gives him more of a character. Like, it does help. He has a bit of a character in the games, and then there's a whole comic book and cartoon franchise built around it. Sonic does have but a they, character But it sounds now. like they flesh it out. You but know? they do. Mm-hmm. They, they flesh him out for us. So that he's a, he's a character that we care about with a personality, and we learn that he's cheeky and sarcastic, and he wants family, and he wants he likes playing games. They don't flush anything about Rain out. Mm. Which I think makes it hard for her to give a good performance mm-hmm. because she's got nothing to perform nothing mm. to work with yeah mm. what about the rest of the cast any views on that um i ben kingsley i get the impression that he is he's was high, they thought okay i get the impression that they when they're casting ben kingsley they thought this is great we've got a big name pedigree to be in our cast mm-hmm. and he's going to be great in it and when he's on screen he looks as if just him with his face all powdered white in that wig that looks like a lego hair piece it just looks yeah. like he's going you haven't paid me enough to look like a give a shit <laughs> literally it's like he's uh, he's like he's doing a parody of himself like the whole trevor slattery thing in iron <laughs> man like I was the best King Lear of Croydon. You know, it was very much like I'm an actor. It didn't look like he was he was trying at all. So he signed up for this film because he had just always wanted to play a vampire and he'd never been offered a role to play a vampire I mean, or anything. So he was like, play. I want to play a vampire and I want the big cloak and the silly teeth. And then they didn't even give him a cloak. Um, <laughs> oh. But so like he has said, he was like, he didn't have the best reasons for taking it. And it feels like he wants to be in Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, like really Mm. hamming it up, going balls Mm -hmm. to the wall, over the top, dramatic. And the film doesn't really let him do that because he, all he kind of really does is sit on a throne. 
Like, which again works for the character, but doesn't. It's as if they needed to open it up, let him really chew the scenery, Mm -hmm. and then it could have been this really sort of like, like camp, like gritty, grotesque, like horror action thing. Yeah, and he doesn't like he doesn't not seem villainous, but he never seems villainous. Like. Um, like I'm, lit- I'm just fucking looking around my room, but like I've got the Hunger Games books above me, and I'm like, President Snow. All President Snow does in the Hunger Games franchise is sit on the throne, but he's so villainous. There's he's an atmosphere so... that you can sense, mm. and you can see him like moving the chess pieces to fuck with Katniss. Whereas mm. in this film, he kind of just waits for her to get to him, and he's like, oh, I she'll didn't come. even she'll think come. he knew she was even coming for him for most of the film. He just, he's just kind of like, oh, someone can find her or she'll find us, whatevs. Like, there's no, again, that there's no urgency to it, but it also makes him not a good villain because we don't get the sense that he's plotting anything or that he's going to, like, no. hurt her or any way. It's just like, oh, if she turns up, he's, she turns up. He literally just chills. He yeah. just vibes. <laughs> nothing, nothing really, nothing really, well, in my, from what I can remember anyway, didn't seem to have anything that he... Yeah, yeah. Busied himself with. <laughs> he gets a bit of action in the final fight, but even then, it's not enough. Like, yeah, um... this is supposed to be the big bad, the one who instills fear, and he's the thing everything's building up to. And yeah, you're right. He just has the uh, general air of, eh, here she comes. I guess I'll fight her. Is he's like the lazy uncle or something. Yeah, and like again, I felt I figured another of like, why do I keep just comparing it to things? Because it's the things I want to watch instead. <laughs> series, series one, season one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm. the big bad. It's because you said big bad, and that's I always associate big bad with Buffy. Agreed. Um, the master. Mm. The there's two episodes to that season, and I think there are only two episodes where the master actually leaves the underworld or the hellmouth. The master, every single scene of the master through those twelve episodes is him in an underground cave, talking to himself, talking to a minion, or talking to a little boy. He doesn't interact with Buffy. He doesn't really kind of kill anyone. He is just monologuing in a cave until, like, the last episode. But he's a villain, and you every mm. time he's on screen, you're like, oh, God, he's going to he's gonna real fuck shit up now. Oh, yeah, what's, what's he, he plotting? What's he scheming, you know? Such a mood to it. And, and like... Maybe that's what they were trying to do here, but yeah, there's no... Yeah, they failed. Yeah, mm-hmm. they really did. Super spectacularly. I actually f- felt the most bored by his stuff. Mm. And it's such a shame because like, whether you like him or not, he's a great actor. Mm. Yeah, he does. He takes some inappropriate roles, including this one, for different reasons. <laughs> um, but like, he, he's a great guy. But li- listen, you can't really blame him. If, you, if you're in the biz and you think, yeah, I want to play a vampire. Yeah, just give... I'll have a crack at it. Give us a go. He should have waited for Twilight. And I don't even like Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) He would have been great in Twilight. Like, he would have hammed that up. He would have had a time. He would have been fantastic in one of those red cloaks. What are they called? The main... Volturi or something like that? Volturi, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In uh, Mm -hmm. Michael Sheen's role. Or Martin Sheen, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Martin Sheen, like, I don't like the Twilight films, but I do love Martin Sheen. So, like, he deserved that role. Um, but yeah, he yeah, was good. Kingsley would have been great as one of them. What about Michael Madsen? We know that what his thoughts are on the film. But what about our thoughts on him? <laughs> I mistook him for someone else for like the whole film. I thought he Did was, you? 
Thought he was this actor who do, who's done a lot of TV. Who I mostly remember him from um, playing a love interest in ER in the later seasons of ER. Um, and so, like, it was only when I was doing my research today, I was like, oh no, he's quite a famous character actor. Oh, amazing! Well, who did you think that I'm he gonna, was? I'll Google. I'll Google the name so that then you can you can look them <laughs> okay. up. Give, give me a couple okay. of minutes. All right, all right. Michael Madsen is the kind of guy who, like in Pulp Fiction, he can play it cool he can play it down mm. but he can have an air of danger to him so that when he starts mm. dancing unpredictability to... yes exactly but i didn't get any of that from this it felt like he was trying to be the wizened mentor but he just it just felt like he was going through the phases and and yeah uh... just going through the motions the yes. beats just just like literally like saying the lines he kind of for me, he looked like an actor who didn't really believe in the whole frilly shirt, like 18th century setting of it all. And I, it, he looked like a man that felt like he felt silly. Mm. It, according to, I read this on IMDb, so take it with a pinch of salt. But according to Uwe Boll, Michael Madsen was drunk every day on set. Oh, really? Probably why he was like, I'll work with time. him again. Mm. I had a great time. Because <laughs> you don't remember it. <laughs> um, the oh, actor who I mistook him for is Donal Logue, who oh. is a Canadian Irish actor from he I know him from ER, but he's been in Sons of Anarchy, he's been in Law of Order, he was goth he was in Gotham, um he's done like a lot, a lot, a lot of TV. Mm. And that was kind of the caliber of actor I expected in this because of the, the visual quality. Yeah. I expected TV actors, and then actually we got some really great movie actors that just the caliber of everything else. Um, but yeah, so apologies to Michael Madsen. Um, what was his name? Like, sorry, Donal Logue, D O N A L. I live in Ireland now, and I can't fucking pronounce it. My mother will be like, <laughs> curse Rogue. me, Logue, L. Rogue Logue. with an L. Oh, see, <laughs> not Rogel, <laughs> Logue. Oh, yeah, I he's like got you a can see, face. like they don't look that alike, but they also don't look dissimilar. Like they mm. could both and be I, in the same same. And when you're up. when you're like, what I'm watching is TV material. You expect a TV actor yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I feel like they could be in the uh, police lineup together. Like, <laughs> see, I wonder if the whole thing of looks very TV, but they're casting movie actors. Maybe that's where all the budget went. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just. It's Do just you so think there were budgetary the issues in the film? Like, I don't know if there were. I think they just did what they wanted to do. I think it was just a bit naff. Mm. Like, I don't think anything went wrong. I think it was just a bit. Apart from mm. using the first draft of the script, that was like well, a big well precisely, yeah. And it's just that mistake. flat. It's that flat sort of view. The colours didn't come through. The the feeling of being in that place didn't come through. Maybe the sound design was wasn't very good it as well. Dated even for two thousand and five. Mm. Yeah, like I can imagine watching that in two thousand and five and feeling like it was dated. It didn't feel like. I can't think of another film that came it out in two thousand and five. Batman weird Begins. Watching it on my TV. Yes. So you and can't not tell little... me that this this came out the same year as Batman Begins. Yeah, like crazy. my brain can't compute that. And it's not about the time period it's saying. It's about the visual and the, the script and the material. They just they don't seem like they could be part of the You're right. Era. It definitely reminded me of when I was used to flick through the channels and see charmed. Yeah. And like the aspect ratio was off. <laughs> like, you know, it was all stretched. It felt weird watching 
this film in this aspect ratio on my TV as it is now, I felt like I should have been watching it on a box TV, yeah. like from like however many years ago. Like Very flicking much. through the channels on terrestrial, like oh my that... little silver box TV with the big back that had little VHS players. I was about to say, did you have the little VHS yeah. slot? Yeah, oh, I loved. I had that TV for like that fifteen years. That, they go, they that. made those things well. Old, reliable. Yeah, mm. but yeah, like definitely can imagine finding this on Channel Five at like eleven PM at night and being like, mm. I only have access to five channels and the news is on three of them, so I guess yep. I'll watch this. Yeah, you're right. Very Channel mm-hmm. 5. Very yeah. Channel 5, yeah. I'm starting to use that as a bit of an insult. Which is kind of funny. <laughs> oh, it was very, very Channel 5. Fucking reason. I was going to say, do you know how Uwe Boll funds his films? Or funded no. his films? So basically, there was this loophole in German tax laws. So if he invested money yeah. in a movie and that in that film in Germany, the government would give him 50% of that back. So even if his films performed oh. right, really awfully, that's how he kept getting financed. But so, how much did this film cost to make? I don't oh, know. I do you have it somewhere. It Hold on. I'm sure. I'm sure you said it at the top. Or I maybe think was... you did, oh, but I have got it I, somewhere. I was listening to another podcast about this film earlier, so it was probably <laughs> them that said it. Hold on, I do but have it, it somewhere. Um, twenty-five million. Ooh. To say he invested ten million of that mm. into make, getting it made, he gets... Germany would give him five million back. Essentially, damn. But smart man, smart man. They closed this loophole in two thousand six, which, oh. funny enough, the year after this was released, <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "This is like we wanted more films to like boost the German film industry, but this is just ruining Germany." Well, because it like <laughs> it, it cost twenty five million to make, and I think it made like two million back. <laughs> yeah oh i've got that as well um it made sorry i scrolled down again so i've got 3.7 million so i'm pulling a face <laughs> anyway yeah 3.7 million from 25 million do- uh, dollar budget is um yikes shocking yeah so i can see why germany closed that loophole. <laughs> but it's yeah. it's astounding he's still got so many films made even after losses like this it's what are your secrets? It's not just a loophole thing. Must not be. He it's all is. He's, give, isn't it? he's given up filmmaking now and um, runs a very successful restaurant. Actually, his restaurant like gets really good reviews and is like very well received. Um, Finally, he's pa- getting what he wants. Good well, apparently, things. in 2020, he mentioned that he might start making films again. So clearly, oh, what see, he, this is what happens when you he wants feed the drama. Ego. He wants the. It's the drama, Mick. He loves it. I, I was waiting for it. I was waiting. <laughs> what a character i'm looking forward to actually watching a few more of the his films just to see like the pattern just to unearth what's really going on there because i feel like one isn't enough and one Mm. this is definitely not what i expect it to be i thought the way they described him i expected it to be like this really like distasteful i expected like like, human centipede vibes yeah like i thought it was gonna be really violent really dirty grotty sex like sadistic yeah I yeah. wished it was because this was bloody yeah. boring. Yeah. yeah. Um. If you want something like that, I haven't watched it, but yeah. Uwe Boll made an Auschwitz film. Oh no. Oh. Oh no. Yeah. yeah I don't think I want to watch that. Yeah. Oh, no. uh, his reasonings for it apparently were that Schindler's List doesn't reach the people like it used to. Uh. <laughs> uh. 
I will tell you, and it, you can, I don't know if you can still listen to it because the show has ended, but I watched Schindler's List for the first time during the pandemic, during the first lockdown, by myself, after a whiskey, I ended up having a few oh whiskeys because of the film, um, I started watching it at like 11 at night, don't know why, and by the end of it, a couple whiskeys deep, so shell-shocked and moved, I decided to do a voice memo to Komodo Mayo because they were doing their <laughs> lockdown correspondence. <laughs> Completely, like, sent them a weeping voice message about how moving it was, how, like, I couldn't believe I'd not seen it, how much it still holds up. And then... Forgot all about that. And then on the Friday, when it airs on BBC, well, aired because it's ended now, unfortunately, on BBC Radio 5, I get a text message from my mum. You just on the radio? I was like, what? <laughs> and they had played my sobbing clip of me talking at two in the morning, drunk alone about Schindler's List. Wow. So Uwe Boll is very wrong on that front. Schindler's List does reach people still. Oh my god. Do you have access to this voice memo anymore? Um Oh, I'm sure I do. Um I would ha- I think I'm sure I'd probably have the original. Yeah, I could find it in my email, the I'd original like unedited. That I hear it. <laughs> I need to they, know the episode. They, <laughs> they they cut they cut around it. Um let me hang on. Alright, let me I'm not not gonna play the clip, but let me just go into my Gmail. Cause mm-hmm. I, if I cause they named their episodes based on the date, didn't they? So I can oh, find out what I Monday. To, I have to be honest, as as a film lover and a podcaster, this might be my most controversial take ever. But I've I've not ever listened to them. Mm-hmm. Not out of choice. Not out of like you know, protest. I just uh, so ever got round to it. <laughs> it was oh, it, it was the second lockdown. Sorry, Ooh. it was the winter lockdown. Oh, it was, God, oh, even worse. I sent it on the 18th of November, which was a Wednesday, so it would have been the episode on the 20th of November, 2020, and I, I signed it. Claire, 31, medium-term listener, first-time viewing, emotionally devastated. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uwe <laughs> Boll, you are wrong. There we go. That was such a sidebar that I don't actually remember what <laughs> We were talking about how it was not what we expected and we wanted it right. to be grittier. Um, and then we went on to Auschwitz yeah. and then he insulted Schindler's List mm. and I, I would not have it. Okay. <laughs> I'm, back, I'm back on track. I'm back on track. But yeah, like I definitely expected like Tom Six vibes because of the way people talk about him and also because of the cover of House of the Dead. The, like, the poster yeah. of House of the Dead gives me bad vibes. Um, but yeah, it might maybe would have been more more interesting. Yes, um, and I've also I've commented. I've just saw one of my notes. It's completely irrelevant as well. But it's like, why does one dude look like Barry from EastEnders? Does <laughs> that dude? Oh, which guy? I don't know. Apparently, there was a dude in the film that I thought looked like Barry from EastEnders. Sean, Sean like something, Barry. Sean Williamson. He follows me on Instagram. Oh, because <laughs> I went Barry to see Oki. him at Barioki. <laughs> That's amazing. And I tagged him. We're doing it. I listened to thing. two other podcasts about this film before we recorded, and I didn't really like either of them because in both podcasts they both just went off on complete random tangents <laughs> about nothing to do with the film, and they're not podcasts I regularly listen to. So I was like, I don't <laughs> care what these people are talking about. Um, and we are now. I am now making us do the same thing. What? <laughs> what is it Barry about this from film? <laughs> if you could predict a tangent that we go into on an Uber Bowl film. 
We, we dropped to Schindler's this? List to Barry from EastEnders. So that <laughs> oh was going to be. Please put that in the promo. Please. <laughs> that will get, that will be our highest downloaded. I guarantee you. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, Barry from, I don't remember who looked like Barry from EastEnders, but it could well have been Shulman. It wasn't. A we good don't know. I checked. Oh, you checked? I did. I Brilliant. Did um yeah i just yeah it it was different it wasn't what i expected um it sounds like the fatal flaw started with the script oh that's what i wanted to say i brought it back i brought it back guys so we're talking about how he gets his films funded i think he's quite a clever businessman like that is a smart move of way to go and the other thing being like he bought the rights to this film, to this game, and he bought the rights to like all these other video games because most of his other films that are at least on our list are all video game films. So he is buying the rights to properties that come with an inbuilt audience. He knows he's going to make some money automatically yeah. without trying, just on brand name recognition. Like that is smart business. Yeah, so, like you can't. He's a money man. Yeah, mm. you kind of got to respect the respect the hustle a small bit there. Mm. Even if, you know, he doesn't seem to respect the properties he is making. <laughs> you know, respect the hustle. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And then he just, you know, went into the rest- restaurant industry. Well, this is the and thing, isn't it? I think that like, kind of proves your point. Isn't that the hardest industry to, like, be a success in? Like, that's the industry where you fail the most. The most like oh. likely business to fail is a restaurant. And the man made it work. So, like, he knows what go. he's doing. Maybe, Get him on Dragon's Den. Maybe that <laughs> just shows where his talents truly lie. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, the Should reports be a producer, of him being a, a good director. person to... Mm. Yeah. Um, just just to factor into that, what people have said about working with yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like, which is, again, like, good producing, like, making sure everyone can't, on the set's he can't happy. handle criticism. Don't be yeah. a creative. Yeah. Uwe, if, Uwe, if you're producer. listening... Hun. <laughs> We've got a new business venture for you. Hun, you can do it. <laughs> oh god. Any other thoughts about sort of the wider maybe like the wider production or the editing, anything about the sound or the music? I personally haven't got anything to say because it was just all bland and boring and yeah. inconsequential. And I like I said, I think maybe the lack of good sound also did didn't help in terms of being able to feel like you were there. Um, in the environment as well because I feel like that's one of those things good sound is is good because you don't notice it mm. but in this case I didn't notice it because I just don't think there was any <laughs> it wasn't actually doing anything I think my thing and we mentioned it right at the top of the episode is just the egregious use of flashback like we we, we meet Rain and she's captive and then a couple of scenes later like a couple of things happen and then suddenly she's like roaming through a forest in a state, crying and freaked out. And you're like, why is she suddenly in a forest? Wasn't she just in a cage? And then it keeps flashing back to her like breaking out and killing all of the people in the freak show that she's been a part of. And it was like, that would have been so much more effective if you could have just left that in the linear plot and we could have seen why she was what how she got out and why she was attacking all these people but instead it's like interspersed between her like going oh no in the woods and like oh running and it's like yeah just mm-hmm. i don't get the point at all other than maybe it wasn't like good enough quality of like the the, the scenes that yeah. they filmed weren't good enough to be used linearly yeah maybe they they put it together and they were like this isn't 
feel mm. right this doesn't flow very well so let's just kind of like be arty with it yeah didn't work no agreed mm-hmm. costumes were interesting why do in my note is why does she look like a sexy superhero <laughs> <laughs> i was very entranced by michelle rodriguez's corset top and low-rise jeans <laughs> Because I feel like I am literally five seconds away from walking past someone in the street wearing that. Yeah. Because I, that um, is the vibe that is coming back. And I'm, I'm, I'm I'm here for some of the noughties. I loved the corset era of the noughties. Totally right. ready for that. But not and the I low-rise jeans. Not the low-rise jeans. I want the um, floor-length denim skirts. Ah, I've got a, I've like a floor-length denim. It's like a, be- like a beige denim. denim. Nice. Mm. nice. You like that? Mm. <laughs> But yeah, no, I thought the costumes were interesting. I, 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 to be honest, that's the thing that I remember and was paying attention attention to the most. It was interesting um, for me because it seemed like her one was um, loyal to the video game. Yes. And I'm like, of all the things that you kept loyal to the game, that shouldn't have been it. That mm. should have been the one <laughs> thing that you changed. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm more thinking about the side characters than her. To be honest, her, yeah. she didn't even uh, sort of like come to mind. But then it was interesting because part of the plot was that they she he he like upgraded her or she he gave her more clothes and it looks exactly the same so i'm wondering again <laughs> if it's loyal to the the game where there's like an updated version or something in one of the games mm. what i will say is do people of this era not ever change clothes do they just have one set of clothes because I mean, that's kind of the same in all things like that though I mean, in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I don't know if you've you, you have watched yeah, it. Watched she it. wears that watched same. It your, red... I watched it on your movie. There you go. Um, she wears that one red dress for like the whole. Week. Yeah, but look at that dress. <laughs> also, but, she's there. She's visiting. She might not have a lot of clothes. She didn't think, look like she had a suitcase. I think they change their undergarments, but they don't change their like overgarments. So, like, she mm. wears that red dress all the time, but she has so many layers underneath it. I assume mm. she's changing those layers. So, I would assume it'd be the same in this. Like, I it would is annoying agree with and it you. Film, but I would agree with you. However. There's a lot of chest on display. I can see yeah. there are no undergarments. True. Men or women. Yeah. But, that but just, you know, that's that what happens when you do a sexy periodic piece, you know? We didn't talk about the sex scene. The sex scene made me uncomfortable. Need to talk about the sex scene. I just thought it was a really badly filmed sex scene. And I couldn't also... I, didn't I think really it was just done gratuitously. Mm-hmm. Like, we all know why, like why they filmed that. Yeah, but it just wasn't good. And like, as like male gaze though, isn't it? Yeah, male gaze, but also like against the balls, like logistically. Good for them. They've got some course. Yeah, that's what I was just like. She is a damp here, but like he looked like he would have the whole time. He would have been doing most of the holdings. I don't know. Mm. It just it it didn't. It wasn't filmed right. It 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 didn't it didn't give any thrills. It was very gratuitous. And do you know why? Because it was all wide shots. Yeah. The one thing, I, the one thing I kept thinking was that her hands were positioned one on the bars, one on the open door. So every time yeah. the door was just slamming and slamming and yeah. slamming and slamming, <laughs> yeah. and it was just yeah. like that. I wanted a scene just down the hall of people just hearing the slamming, going, "What the yeah. fuck is going on?" <laughs> oh my god! Like we've already like referenced Gavin and Stacey, like when they're upstairs yeah. banging and they like put the music on and like, "No, this is all okay." <laughs> yeah. That would have been funny. Yeah, yeah, because they needed some sort of like something in it to allow a bit of a the breath, like a bit of a breather, like mm. just because it it took itself so seriously, but it was boring. 
he didn't really do anything super thrilling or fun, but it wasn't like tense or like it just it was so in the middle of all the things it was trying to be in so like flat that it would have been quite nice to have a little bit of a comedic relief at some mm. point because it would have been something to give it like some texture so to speak yeah usually films like yeah. these have just one character who's there just to be the comedic relief a bit doofy yeah, maybe that's dropping why things it felt so yeah. Mm, yeah. exactly Mm, interesting. Why do they keep um, attempting odd British accents? Because yeah. everyone in everyone in the oldie times is British, <laughs> except Michelle Rodriguez. Well, mm. I, ha- I have. Um, oh I'm, wait, no, she was. Michael Madsen wasn't. One of them was American. I can't remember which mm. one. Yeah, no, it's just you know, it's the rule that they always wear the same clothes. They all can get places really quickly, even though they're riding horses, and <laughs> they all have close to British accents and bad wigs. And bad wigs. Yeah, I'm sure one of them had an American accent. I was like, yeah, okay. So it's just whoever can do a British accent does one. And it also wasn't really a British accent either. It was just that weird kind of like middle ages. I live in the oldie times. I'm just going to put an (laughs) E on on the end of some of these nouns and the (laughs) vowels. It is exactly what I would do. (laughs) Well, shall... Is anyone... Does anyone have any other things to share about about the film or shall we shall we dive into to sort of it further in further into its reception and its mm-hmm. reviews because we know, have maybe. touched on it a little bit already yeah cool so we mentioned about the money um so extremely poor us box office returns um but it did actually open in the top 10 in many foreign theaters apparently this included russia where um it opened number three and um uae opened number one so there is there is an audience out there somewhere for this film. Well, it's because the UAE censor loads of films. Um, right, so this is the hard drug use the and sex stuff use. Okay, yeah. So, well, no, this seems really easy to edit without losing any of the plot. Like, you can cut that right. sex scene straight out and the mm. film still makes complete sense. You can cut the violence out and just have a little bit of hand-to-hand combat. It still makes complete sense. So it's but more like, what it was up against in terms of that genre yeah. and things like yeah. that. Okay. Right, yeah. See, this is the thing. The data, the data doesn't always completely tell the story. You've <laughs> got to know the context of these things. Um, what I thought was really interesting, which you might already know about, is um, so Billy Zane was involved with the distributor, which was Roma mm-hmm. Entertainment. I read about this. Yeah, and then Uber Bolt sued him for revenue owed. Um, I'm guessing because of the the bad reception and the fact that it was his production company. And then before the DVD of the film was released Bowl removed the Romar name and logo from the credits and packaging and therefore Romar ceased distributing the film sounds like a win for the company yeah <laughs> cutting ties <laughs> it's just yeah I think this is this is where it kind of comes into play this the, his personality side of things in terms of there seems to be an Uber Bowl who sets these films up and films these films where he does well well he doesn't do well with the filming, but you know, he financially he seems okay. Mm. And then once it's released, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. <laughs> he just can't handle. It sounds like one of. Do you know what? It kind of sounds like to me. Some people, myself included, just completely appreciate that we are not. Cre- I'm not creative, 
but that's why I do producing because I want to be in that creative world but give my skills that I can provide because if I try to do I say that I have direct like directed something now maybe there is more to me than than it seems but there is a there are roles people they go I love this world but this isn't something that I do well so I'll provide like a lot of them a lot of um, investors in terms of production companies um, and people who have that money who love that world will invest because they're like, I love it, but I don't have the time, I don't have the skill, etc. but I do have the money. It's as if he should, as we were saying, he should do that because <laughs> when it comes to actually dealing with the second half of what it takes to be in the film industry, which is being critiqued for your work and publicising your work and all of that side of things, he does not do well in at all. He is not media. He's not like, he's like needs some serious media training coming but from a PR. He clearly <laughs> subscribes to the all press is good press because people know his name. Like, That's true. Know we wouldn't know, know who the hell he was otherwise. I really don't think that his films would be on the bottom 100. And there's not like that many directors that get like a seven page film listicle written in the Guardian about them. And the mm-hmm. Guardian's got a bit trash like in terms of this film writing but this was also an article from like a number of years ago like that isn't the kind of behavior that most directors get yeah maybe he saw that it was giving him a bit of notoriety and he decided to lean into it the thing is it's Um, also a double-edged sword because it brought up like petitions calling for uve bowl's retirement and uh mm -hmm. just uh, he's feeding yeah it and then it makes him more angrier then he continues yeah. yeah so is it better to be just a middling director that doesn't get any notice or a director who's noticed for being so shat upon really yeah something all i can think of is ego Ego. yeah very true um in terms of um rotten tomatoes claire have you have you checked it haven't i want to say this one surely has a lower rating than the flintstones I can confirm this has a lower rate on audience score than the Flintstones. This has a 17% audience score and a 4% critics. Wow. Yeah, so I think it's probably one of the lowest ones from Rotten Tomatoes' point of view. Um, The the consensus is um, it's an absurd sword and sorcery vid game adaption from Schlock Maestro Uwe Boll featuring a distinguished and slumming cast. (laughs) I really like that that last phrase there. Some interesting reviews of note. Um, Chicago readers Andrea Grunville said, just when you thought camp was dead, along comes this bizarre cross between a Tarantino knockoff and a Hammer Horror film. I want to see that. I want to see the cross of a Tarantino and a Hammer Horror because this ain't it. Yeah, were they drawing that just from like how it got non-linear at times? Because... No, they were like, there's a character, there's an actor who's normally in Tarantino films. Ah, good and point. And there was some violence. In... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? With vampires. Um, efilmcritic.com, Rod Gonzalez said, the fight scenes are the worst kind of editing room cheating, meant to cover for actors who haven't been trained to wield anything more than intimidating than a cell phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't say I remember any of the... Uh, the um, fight scenes, to be completely honest they with you. They were just a bit dull. 
this is what I mean. I think this is why I didn't engage with it because I just found it boring. And this is, for me, that's the that's the worst thing you can be. It's entertainment at the end of the day. I'd much rather be annoyed or angry at a film than <laughs> in some in some ways. Um, Metascore got 18. LA Weekly's Chuck Wilson said, there are, a lot, there are all sorts of noteworthy people in this silly vampire epic. Epic's a bit more hyper- hyperbolic, isn't it? Um, including acting great Sir Ben Kingsley and Geraldine Chaplin, but the only artist this critic wants to heap praise upon is the regrettably unidentified supervisor of Blood Spatter. Nice work, dude. As you said, there were a few few moments where it was a little bit gory, but I don't really remember it for that. So obviously it wasn't enough for me. And lastly, Austin Chronicles' Marjorie Baumgarten said, maybe everyone involved was hoping that no one would see this movie, but Madsen is the only one who should fear anyone seeing his work. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. um, Claire, have you got any? Have you have any? I just found the one on Letterboxd. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I... I, Because there's a lot of, like, trolley ones on Letterboxd, but I thought Mm. this one was genuine. I don't think I ended up doing Letterboxd. I felt this one was genuine. It's a four-star review from 2019 uh, by Fred Anderson, and he it's quite simple and short. Oddly old-school and very gory fantasy swashbuckler with no other intention than to entertain for the moment, and it truly serves its purpose, so sue me. And like, I feel like he genuinely believes that. I think this, mm. you know, tickled... I, and what he says, like, oddly old-school, I think is incredibly true. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I guess if you're into that kind of kind of older era of films i can see why he you know i don't agree but i think that is a genuine review rather than like there's a lot yeah. on there that are like, and i wonder this is the best film ever ha 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 and i wonder if we're going in to this granular detail on it because it's part of the bottom 100 and mm. this is what we do for all the other films mm. when actually it's kind of if you take the director away it's kind of inoffensive yeah. i think the reason that we put so much stakes on in expectation is because of the cast mm-hmm. if this if you took away the director and you took away the cast it would be the most under the radar inconsequential never to be kind of to be unearthed by real fans of the genre or or found on channel five or found on channel five you know so i think the reason maybe for me personally that i'm so kind of indifferent but verging on negative about it is just because all the other films we've kind of looked at on the podcast just have some substance to them of the film itself being on the list, whereas this just feels like it's on the list because of him, and therefore maybe be I'm being harsher on it because of because of that reason. Because you just read that review out, and I'm like, I can't I can't really fault that yeah. point of view. Yeah. Okay. Um. Also, um. Just lastly, before we before we sort of share our share our final thoughts, um, just wanted to share a couple of awards. Oh. So in two thousand and nine, Time listed the film number six on their list of top ten worst video game movies, and then of course we have our Razzies, um, which it made an appearance for. So Blood Rain, um, um, Christina Loken was nominated for worst actress against Hillary and Haley Duff. Jessica Simpson and Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> um, um, Sharon Stone won that one for Basic Instinct 2. Uber Bowl nominated for Worst Director, also nominated um, Michael Canton Jones for Basic Instinct 2, Ron Howard for Da Vinci Code, Keenan Ivory Waynes for Little Man, winner was M. Night Shyamalan for, Shyamalan for Lady in the Water. 
It was nominated for Worst Picture, again, winner, Basic Instinct 2. Lady in the Water, Little Man and The Wicker Man were nominated. Um, Worst Screenplay, same, Usual Suspects, winner was Basic Instinct 2 again. Ben Kingsley um, nominated Worst Supporting Actor against David Lewis for Basic Instinct 2. Martin Short for Santa Claus 3. Danny DeVito for Deck the Halls. But um, M. Night Shyamalan won for The Lady in the Water. And also Michelle Rodriguez was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. Um, Kristen Chenoweth, Kate Boswell, Jenny MacArthur Wahlberg, and then Carmen Electra won for Date Movie and Scary Movie 4, which is very fitting for our podcast. <laughs> so, Some yeah, I mean... Crossover movies heading in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, a cinematic universe, you say? This is your multiverse um, of madness. This is uh, bloody madness, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and then the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, which tends to come up every now and then um, with these films, um, it actually won for the least special special effects <laughs> against Aragon, Little Man, Ultraviolet, and Zoom. Haven't heard of half of those. Um, I was know nominated the for, Le- for Aragon. I remember that was heavily advertised. Yeah, I remember the trailer actually, and I remember the books, the books we had at school. I've um, seen most of those, and. Yeah. <laughs> um it was nominated for least scary horror movie winner was lady in the water most annoying fake accent nominated winner of worst ensemble winner of worst picture accent i would like to know Oh, okay. Sorry. Worst fake accent female, Cindy Chung, Lady in the Water. Again, it, th- th- these these are all the same and they've always been mm. the same. They pick a handful of films that they know weren't well received. Maybe they watch them, maybe they don't, and then they just slot them into the categories, which is why I'm kind of like just not even bothering to repeat the, all of them The now. ones it's popular to beat up on. Yeah, yeah basically. Mm. Nominated for Worst Screenplay, Date Movie 1. Um, it won Worst Sense of Direction. Uwe Boll became the first director to win this award two consecutive years. Ah. Ouch. He, oh, he bet he loved that. Meatloaf um, nominated for Worst Supporting Actor and Michelle Rodriguez nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. So, you know, they really sweeped the nominations of the Bad Film Awards that year. Congratulations. Um, I wonder if he, if he attended any of them. <laughs> <laughs> going to guess no. Uh, I think if he did, he would have beat up half of them. Yeah, I feel like um, we would have had a pre-Oscars situation <laughs> with some violence at the ceremony. Um, okay, so what should we have? Should we have a, a, a round robin of um, what our rate we're, we're deciding our ratings are Just out of five? Just gave me a really horrible flashback to team meetings there. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm not sorry, <laughs> not sorry. My PR lingo comes through into my personal life round robin just sends me back round robin touch base circle back take off line i've got a whole bingo card oh take off line i haven't heard that one in a while i like take off line feels passive aggressive but it's not it does (laughs) anyway i'm gonna i'm gonna kick it off i think i think i'm gonna go for two stars out of five i feel like that might be quite surprising considering how I've kind of like ripped into it quite a lot but all of the stuff I've ripped into it for isn't that it's bad it's just that it's boring um so I can't in good faith in my system of scoring stuff give it anything less than that because I haven't it's not tipping the scale that far that end it's just very middle of the road but doesn't give me any saving graces 
from that. Like I watched a film the other day and I was like, this is incredibly middle of the road, but I laughed quite heavily a few times. It's probably going to be bumped a little bit further up. This is kind of the opposite of that. Yeah, I um, agree completely yeah. with most of that. Um, two stars for me as well. Um, if I did not know that this was on the bottom 100, and again, as I've said multiple times now, stumbled across it on Channel 5 one evening, <laughs> I, by I the end of it, Channel 5. I would have just been like, oh, that was a bit shit, wasn't it? And then I would have carried on with my life. I yeah. would never have thought about it again. I would just be like, oh, it's a bit of a shit movie. Literally. Off we trod. Um, so yeah, like, I can't, you can't easily fault it, but like it's it just doesn't seem even worthy of ripping it apart. Um, yeah, just a bland. It would but really we did be, anyway. We did. It would really be like a one point seven five, but I'm not going oh. that. I'm not going. Are we there. going decimal? <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. We can go halves, but that's it. Um, okay. So yeah, it's getting a two. I just I couldn't go one point five. It has to like offend me to get a one point yeah, five. Yeah, exactly. It has to. Yeah. We're on the same That's page. That's fair enough. James, what are you thinking? I'm going to be less positive than you two. Um, <laughs> half a star I'll give it. Oh, Bearing in mind, wow. I do give films oh, wow. zero stars. So this isn't mm. like bottom of the bottom for oh, me. Oh, so it should be grateful. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't... I, in fairness, I don't, the lowest I do is 0.5 because less yeah, I don't doesn't allow I've, me to I do don't, zero. <laughs> zero. Zero would, for me, be totally irredeemable mm. and I've, ne- I've never seen a film like that. Well, if something was zero stars for me, I would turn it off or leave. Like, if a right. film's that bad, I would leave the cinema or continue. turn it off. Yeah, yeah. I, if, if, if it was truly that bad, I could not continue. Yeah, I'm a bit yeah. of a sadomasochist in that way. i got to finish the... <laughs> i got to finish the things. I um, like that. But... I saw Blood Rain the same day I saw Top Gun Maverick, and oh well, oh okay then that all makes sense. Top Gun Maverick that was makes sense. like forty minutes Super. longer, but felt so much shorter than Blood Rain to me. And I think it's just with Blood Rain, I I struggled to believe in anything this film gave me. It like it just didn't feel like the actors had anything to put into because they didn't have anything to latch on to to put into and the direction was just so uninteresting it mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. kind of drained a bit of my life and i'm not fond of that i think you hit the nail on the head there it's nothing that we really went wrong in the production or anything like that other than the screenplay stuff mm. it's just the direction is so like there's nothing to it really it's done and it's moved on they're not yeah. trying to dig into that well any deeper it's very shallow. yeah there's no mm-hmm. there's no life in it and i think you know just further further proves that maybe he should be a producer rather than a director but you, yeah. you've made me look up what i watched this around and like the list of films i watched that i then ended with blood rain i went on a, like a, a run during my covid era uh-huh. and i watched in the space of a week the Departed, Face Off, The Rock, Logan, Armageddon, Con Air, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and then I finished it with Blood. Oh Rain. my god! Oh my god! <laughs> I I love the theme though. Very sort of like I wanted big man smashy crashy bar. Yeah. I don't know why that was what I was craving, but I really really was. But also, it needed to be of a specific era. I had never seen um, The Rock or Armageddon, so or Logan or Dawn of the Planet of oh, the Apes or most of Face Off. Most of them were first time watchers, so it's good. nice. Mm. Yeah. Well, at least something cake was good out of that. Then, yeah. not. I mean, I, I would have rather not had COVID. But oh, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> goes without saying. Um, 
I thought you were going to say, I would rather have not have watched Blood Rain, but... (laughs) Nah. Um, I actually watched Blood Rain after I tested out, and I was really mad because I was going to watch it the night before, and I was like, oh, I'm still going to be COVID positive tomorrow, so I'll just watch it tomorrow. And then then um, your first three days. That afternoon. And I was like, I went out for a bit, and I was like, I'm going to go home and watch Blood Rain now. (laughs) Oh, no, that's the worst. Oh, no. Oh, it was fine. I was tired. Mm. I had not, I'd not left my bed in 13 days. I had no <laughs> stamina to be going outside. Too much excitement. Mm. Too much excitement. Turns out I got it wrong. I watched Blood Rain the day after I watched Top Gun Maverick. So I'm a fucking liar. Oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> but same I, feel, I feel like if you... Like, Top Gun Maverick's like being hooked up to a dre- pure adrenaline. Mm. And then it's as if you're literally like being drained of life watching blood rain mm. so it's like the complete opposite <laughs> in terms of like feeling one adds years to your life and the other one takes double that amount yeah <laughs> anything you did have mm-hmm. doubles gone um i in terms of deserving its ranking and saving or burning i don't think it deserves to be on the bottom 100 out of 100 films i don't think it's mm. the worst 100 however i'm you know i'm Again, I'm 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 t- bringing you out of the fire, but I'm not going to help you get back on your feet. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. I I would be the same. Like it's hard, especially because it's very like low on the list or high on the list, depending on how you view numerous mm-hmm. lists. But like it's in the twenties. So I'm like, oh, mm. I don't, you know, it's it's just one of the worst thirty films ever made. The problem being, none of That's us. That's a good point, actually. None of us know the source material. So, like, mm-hmm. I consider Peter Jackson's adaptation of The Lovely Bones to be one of the worst cinema crimes I've ever seen in my life. I want to fight Peter Jackson. I hate his adaptation <laughs> so much. I genuinely, I cannot stand the man. He's a fucking hack and he ruined what I thought was a beautiful novel. Also, this is why so, you don't like Lord of the Rings. I also didn't like Lord of the Rings before that. And then when I found mm. out he was doing Lovely Bones, yeah. I was like, I was like, oh no. And then I watched it and I was like, oh no. <laughs> Um, I do like his movie. His, his one of his very first movies, though, Brain Dead, which is actually mm. a decent movie. Um, but I've not seen Heavenly Creatures, so I cannot comment. Um, oh, it's so good. But yeah, I know. But the Peter Jacksonness puts me off. Yeah, um, but yeah, so like to me, Lovely Bones is one of the worst movies ever made because the book was so important to me. And when I read that book, I wanted to make the film of it. Like I was like fifteen, reading it, and so inspired that I was like envisioning making the movie one day. That was going to be like my dream. Um, to adapt that book so I can understand that like it's really easy for me to be like oh this film is just a bit boring and like it doesn't really deserve to be on here but if you are an avid Mm. fan of that game this must just be so insulting to you and you must feel the way that I feel about that adaptation of Lovey Bones so I can understand why for other people it does deserve to be on the list because you're making an adaptation Mm. and you've basically just thrown I, I don't know because I've not played the game but it sounds like they just threw it out and kept the name yeah mm. and it's all about that context isn't it yeah it's all about and we've discussed this before your expectations going into something truly do shape your your actual experience of it yeah. and i can understand and and also we've spoken about like the impact of who's reviewing when they're reviewing it why they're reviewing it affects why it's also on the bottom 100 stuff there's so many nuances to this stuff and i think we're starting to see the patterns because we've done so many now that that's clearly why that was there we're not the audience for it for us it doesn't 
belong on there but that's the beauty of these films like they're it's all subjective so you know you're never really gonna find the worst because it's all down to who is rating them mm-hmm. and and what what that story is but but yeah i mean for the if we're looking at it for worst films in the world of all time yes it's impacted that community but i don't think as as its own standalone thing it it deserves that but we Especially all agree the lovely bones does deserve to be 20 we <laughs> i've never even seen it. seen it so <laughs> haven't <Just>. seen it <laughs> um anyone else? so are we sort of in, in agreement then i think we, that we're james not gonna bother to james? yeah james mm. do you want to share any further um i spoke over him <laughs> oh don't worry about it um considering how many films get released each year to say bottom 100 i wouldn't class this as being in that i mean i would happily replace it with so many bigger films that um like transformers revenge of the fallen where's that in there and hell <laughs> hell i could think of an another uve bowl film that could take this one's place but it's i don't like it but not top 100 bottom 100 worst of all time Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So, spoken about Blood Rain, we spoke what we don't like about Blood Rain, not much of what we do like. Let's talk about films that we do like for our theme of the week. It is it's actually been decided by I guess James, do yeah. you want to introduce what our theme for our for our Daisy versus Claire and James? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm in on this. Film off is you won't be in the verses, but you get to kick us off. Okay. Yeah. Um, our theme this week is revenge films. Ooh. Yeah. Because in the movie, she's trying to get revenge on her father mm-hmm. for raping her mother. Get it? That's the only clear sort of like through line we could make. Because I had not seen enough uh, medieval films. <laughs> and vampire yeah, films were taken. Yeah, yeah we did vampire taken. films on Vampire Sucks, unfortunately. Mm. So. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say video game adaptations for likely Street Fighter. I was thinking, yeah, we hadn't actually discussed that, but that's exactly what I was thinking. But James, you want to kick us off with your top three? You can do them in any order. You can do them in random, or you can do them in a in a three, two, one, whatever. Okay. Um, I, you know what? I will do this in some kind of order. Uh, three, two, one. Um, mm-hmm. now I've avoided some of the more obvious ones because just in case you want to, any of you want to take them. Um, <laughs> we do like an obvious movie. Well. They're obvious for a good reason. They're fucking good. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay, for my number three, I'm gonna go with an early film from director Peter Strickland, who gave us In Fabric and Barbarian Sound Studio. It's Catalin Varga. Mm, I've not heard of this. Okay, so you got the title woman, Catalin Varga. It opens with her being cast out by her husband from their village and forced to take her young son because um the husband discovers the young son isn't actually his. So he says to her, mm. go find his real father. And so what Catelyn Varga decides is, is oh, going to her son, oh yeah, we'll go visit my ill mother. And she tells everyone this, but her actual in actuality, her intention is to take revenge on the two men who sexually assaulted her all those years ago. Now, oh, okay. this isn't a film that's intent on stylizing the revenge. It's instead focused on the sobering aftermath 
of enduring something so horrific for so long. And it's a reminder of how the past is always ready to haunt you. And it rests on the shoulders of its star, Hilda Peter. I hope I didn't butcher that. And I think she does a phenomenal job capturing the pain this woman has carried all this time. And there's a standout moment where she has to deliver a monologue and it just holds your attention. And it does something I love in films of reminding you how the most engrossing thing can be just somebody talking. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's absolutely it's definitely underseen. I'd say go see it. It's damn good. Talking of people speaking and being engrossing, I think James should just come on and do all future top threes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I was like, oh my god, he's a professional. <laughs> no, I fake it well. <laughs> well please give us your second one. I'm like Yes. Oh. Okay, um my second one is Alice Lowe's Prevenge. I've heard of this. Mm. Mm-hmm. So there are some days when I'm just like, oh, I can't be bothered to finish this. And this film, Alice Lowe wrote, directed and starred in all while she was heavily pregnant. And it just makes me think, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> and so the basic premise is you've got this pregnant woman, widow who goes on a homicidal rampage and she's seemingly guided by her unborn child to go and kill all these people. And it's such an impressive debut. It's a tale where grief takes a blackly comedic and very murderous form. It's quite short. It's damn good. And it makes you proud of what British cinema can deliver. I've not seen this, but it comes up on so many lists of like Mm. best British films, Mm. best indie horrors, uh, best debuts, best films by women. Like it always comes up on one of those lists. And every time someone talks about it, I'm like, God, I really want to watch this film. So I need to like get myself, I need to get it done. Number three? Oh, yeah. My number one is a film by director Park Chan Wook. Not that one. It's (laughs) The Handmaiden. I have been recommended this by so many people. Please tell me more. Okay, so it's set in 1930s Korea. It's about this young woman who's hired to be a handmaiden to a Japanese heiress. And the heiress lives in a secluded uh, countryside estate with a domineering uncle watching over her. Turns out the maid's actually a pickpocket who's been recruited by a swindler who's posing as a Japanese count. And the swindler's plan is he's going to seduce the heiress so he can steal her fortune by having the heiress committed. But plans take a turn when the maid and the heiress fall in love with each other. Uh Oh, yeah, it's one of those films. And what you have is this multi-layered, duplicitous tale about love, which would make Hitchcock proud. It's... (laughs) It's hilarious. It's compelling. It's so clever as you've got these four people who are constantly trying to manipulate each other from behind the scenes. But when it comes down to it, it's these women trying to fight back against the men who've been controlling them all their lives. It's really damn good. I'd really recommend this one. And there's an extended cut, which is like three hours long, and it does not feel it. It's as vital as the the, um, theatrical cut. I I'd highly recommend this one. Amazing. I've just checked because your recommendation was so strong. <laughs> um, at current time of recording, we're recording on the 1st of June, 2022. This won't come out until likely July. But at time of recording, it's available on both all four and Netflix in the UK and Ireland. Mm. So two streaming services, one of which is free. So, um, you know, maybe by the time no this excuses. airs, when I edit this, I'll be like, fuck, go watch it. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh. been on my. It's definitely been on my list for a while. So, 
Yeah, what wonderful! Thank you for educating us. Thank you, Jane. Oh, thank you for allowing me to talk bullshit. <laughs> um, it's always so funny because our guests come on and always have these wonderful, varied, well thought out top threes, and then mm. me and Claire are just like, um, "Yeah, I guess I saw that one that one time." Um, and uh, <laughs> what the, all of the ones we've mentioned are probably some of the most highest grossing films. <laughs> I keep repeating films because I'm like I can't remember if I've already mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again. Hey, good to good for a reason. You love us at our at our worst. Yeah. Oh hell yeah! Whatever that phrase is. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) This is who we are, whether we like it or not. (laughs) Hell yeah! Anyone that can't accept it can go watch another Uwe Boll film. No, there you are. There you go. Claire, who's going first this week? Well, I feel like last time you let me get some of the good ones. You were okay. very kind to me in the Sony one. You were like, you can take Spider-Man well, and Mitchell's, and like, so okay. I feel like you should be allowed to go first. I wonder. See, I'm I'm not I'm not 100 convinced we'll have loads of crossovers. No, was that one I I did think we would. Yeah, but I'm I will happily take first dibs. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going. It's a very great segue actually because my first. This is in no particular order as well. My first choice is Old Boy. Yes. Mm. Um, this shook me to my fucking core. I watched Old Boy, um, which is also um directed by Park Chan Wook. That um and uh. I, I, I can't even remember because I always have a reason why I watch something. There's always like on a list or someone's recommended it to me or whatever. And I can't remember why at that point, but I think I'd put it on Blu-ray. Maybe someone had recommended it and I got it in like a HMV deal. I did not expect what I saw. Like I recommend it to people all the time. I really need to rewatch it soon. Um, it's essentially about a guy that's imprisoned um, for a long time I think about 15 years potentially I can't remember off the top of my head um and he's released and he is essentially left to seek revenge but it's actively encouraged um it's a big mystery it all sort of un- un- unravels as you watch it and it's just so captivating and shocking and really pushes the boundaries on stuff and it's just fantastic fantastically made film all i will leave you with is one word which is hallway if you know you know (laughs) that was my only problem with the film and it wasn't a problem with the hallway film but um when i watched old boy for the first time which i think was only last year um yeah i Uh did it as my um i watched last year for my birthday a new film for every year i'd been alive that i hadn't seen before so Mm. i watched old boy i think what the year it came out um but in my brain i had got it crossed with the raid because everyone kept saying about the hallway scene everyone was like oh my god the hallway scene the hallway scene and so my brain mixed it combined old boy and the raid into one film once i realized because like he he, like one of the first scenes is him leaving his captivity and i was like wait what like this isn't meant to stay there for the whole movie (laughs) (laughs) But once I got over that, like absolutely loved it. Have either of you seen the American remake? I haven't. You have. I really want to watch it because I love Elizabeth Olsen mm. and I'm fascinated. Oh, is she? In how, it? Mm. How, yeah, she plays the love interest. So right. having seen how that works out in the film, in right. the original, I'm fascinated that Elizabeth Olsen 
took that role yeah, yeah, in yeah. the American remake. I mm. will say the American remake, Spike Lee has disowned it because it's not the cut he wanted to make. Oh, oh interesting. interesting. But mm. I, I am going to watch still, it. I'm very curious about it regardless. Yeah, it I'm gonna it always like... comes up in the conversations about American remakes of foreign Credit films, where um... it's due, that film does take some avenues of its own way. It's not just okay. a complete shot-for-shot shot remake, yeah. but it's got issues. That's mm, it. I'm not going to prioritise okay. watching that over something like The Handmaiden, mm. but one day I do want to watch it just for the comparison and because I like Elizabeth Olsen. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. There we go. And Old Boy is a great film to watch on Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> My father's um... dead, so I can watch it and not worry. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Moving on, would you like to <laughs> pick your next... Look, if I can't make a joke about it, who can? Then we know precisely. It's just um, like, we didn't think we could get lower. <laughs> we got lower. Um, my first choice, because I am the most basic of bitches, is uh, Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman. Because if yeah. you followed me on Twitter I knew last that that year, you was the one that I was worried we might have crossover on. Well, <laughs> I left I left that one for you because I've only Thanks. seen it once. Um, oh, yeah. I watched it three, if not four times last year. Um I just oh my god I don't that film felt like it was made for me um I love the aesthetic I love the video game elements I love the depiction of grief um I love Carrie Mulligan when she gets to play a modern role please let Kira Knightley and Carrie Mulligan live in the modern world please (laughs) um I love the aesthetic um I know people have problems with the ending I think it's a perfect film. I give it five stars because it's perfect for me and it moves me in a way so other films do and it grips me in a way so many other films don't. Um, So yeah, don't, don't. Um, And I like was so eager to share it with other people in my life. I can completely understand everyone else's criticism of the ending. For me, the ending works. I completely, everyone else's opinions are valid. But for me, it does work, so it doesn't ruin the movie for me. Um, and I just love everything about it. I was watching something yesterday, and a song from the soundtrack came on the thing I was watching. And I was like, that's a promising young woman song. <laughs> um, I definitely yeah. need to rewatch it, because mm. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Really, really enjoyed it. Brilliant, brilliant piece of cinema. And I'm so gutted um, because it didn't get cinema release in the UK. It went straight to Sky Cinema. Mm. Um, The Prince Charles finally got a copy of it. I think it was The Prince Charles. Or maybe... I'm almost definite it was Prince Charles. If not, it was um, a cinema in Wales that I also follow. I think it's called The Chapter. Um, But they finally have done a cinema print of it um, at some point this year. But I'm in Ireland. So So nowhere in Ireland of... Not that I've, um, not, would, of, not that I'm aware of, but I was like, oh, if I had been, mm. which is why I feel like it must have been the Prince Charles, because if I had been at home, I definitely would have gotten to the Prince Charles to see yeah. it. Um, yeah, ironically, of my four favourite films, of which I would count that as uh, up there, so I've only seen one of them in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Just like goes to show, don't, don't need to see yeah. a big, mm. in, on a big screen yeah. to... To really yeah. get the full effect. Exactly. Yeah. And I like I like how like the entire plot is revenge. It's so mm. driven. And it shows you the damage revenge can do. Mm. Like how all consuming and mm. life ruining. It's so meticulously thought out. 
And it's so smart in that way because it's meticulously thought out because she has not been able to think of anything yeah. else. And when you look and the the discussions with her parents are like, she has no life. She used to be like, literally Mm. she was a promising young woman and look Mm. what the, the, the brutal rape and subsequent death of her best friend did to her. And like a lot of these films do revolve around sexual assault because that seems to be, you know, a big revenge thing because I think in society, there's so few consequences for that kind of thing. That I was about to see. say. I think it's just. I think it's because of that. It's a. Yeah. It's a. It's a consequence of the fact that there aren't. Don't tend to be consequences yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah. Love to okay. bring it down. Apologies. <laughs> That's all right. It's a great film. It's a great <laughs> film. It's a beautiful film. Um. Okay. For my next pick, I'm going for John Wick. Ooh. I still never first, seen it. First side note, bonus points because the the I don't, I mean you've never seen it, but the I revenge, know what happens. You know you know about why he's seeking revenge. Yeah, right? I do. The dog is called Daisy. <gasps> ah, there's a dog on the screen now too. James oh, has a dog. No. I don't. What's James's dog called? He's called Eddie. Hi, oh, how adorable. Would you go on a John Wick face. rampage for Eddie? Um, it's like that Brooklyn Nine-Nine clip of, uh, <laughs> I've only known this dog for so long, but if anything happened to him, I'll kill everyone in this room, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Oh, Eddie. We love we love a, 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 pet, a pet guest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, he's a um, sucker for attention. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when John, John Wick came out, um, I don't think I saw it in the cinema. I think I listened back to some old podcasts and ended up seeking it out. And I think it's because the second one was coming out as well. But I was just so impressed. It felt really fresh. Like it was kind of like Keanu Reeves' Reeves' second coming. Like like it kind of cemented him as this this older action star. Like back right back into our hearts. Um, and it was just like had some really interesting things to it in terms of like. The editing, the tone, it it just felt um, kind of had that. And I, I mentioned this in my, in, I ended up reviewing the second one when I used to write. And I, I mentioned it mainly in that one, but I think it goes for the whole series, which is it kind of brings back that cool, suave 80s action thing, whilst also being super slick with like the, the post 2000 era kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, he's just a, he's just a fantastic lead guy. You know, all of I, I think the main thing about why it's so well received is the cor- the action choreography is just absolutely outstanding to the point where the 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 stunt choreographer now directs films in his own right, and he's known like I know what his name is. Like that's crazy. Like to to think that in this industry, um, and it's got a great law behind it which we learn much more about in the second and third films but um it's just done really well in the first one as well um like the coins and stuff it's got a lot of iconography um which i really like and now i just want to watch it again (laughs) so maybe next time we are in the same country we can watch it together yeah because you've still not seen it yeah 
do, if it had do been, the trilogy. If it had been made in the 90s, I would have watched it on my COVID-fueled action, but it was uh, too uh. recent. Uh, it needed to be 90s for me to watch it has it it has that older school action it's not 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 in the way it looks just that kind of just like this action starts because you've you know like james mentions like transformers and things like that action has become i think it's because action has become so cg and superhero Mm -hmm. that having a really good grounded action with a front man stunt choreography just felt like oh wow like this is yeah 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 so that's my second choice nice um i am going to go for another very claire like daisy's going for like the hardcore like male vengeance like high i will and 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 my third one will conclude that trilogy nice I'm going uh, for candy. Um, I'm like, just candy coloured things. I'm going to go for Heathers. Ooh. Um, Ooh. I do like a bit of Heathers. It's a controversial film. It. It's a, it's an odd film. Um, I think I maybe talked about it in our teen movies. But I yes, don't know, I think that you did. I don't know if I picked it or just referenced it. Uh, I can't remember. Oops, if I picked it again. Um, but I just like it. I think it's a different revenge film. I think it's also like one of those revenge films where you're like, why are you taking revenge on these girls? Like, yeah, they're bitches, but do they deserve to die? Um, I think it was very modern film. I really would like to see the stage musical version of it because I've heard the songs because they did a Riverdale musical episode about it. Um, what, what I continue to misunderstand <laughs> this show and what it really is for. <laughs> yeah it just you can't question it um but yeah it's great it made Winona Ryder um it's just a really fun and like I remember watching it as a teenager my dad recommended it to me he was a big fan of it and just being like well my dad had great taste my dad did have great taste um (laughs) but then he also really likes some trash Uh, kiss kiss by Holly Valance is one of his favorite songs of all time Wow, not heard that in years. He was like, that's a banger. He was like, he was like, that is a pure pop song. (laughs) Um, Yeah, really enjoy Heather's. um, Just think it's great and very different. And I remember watching me like I didn't know you were allowed to do stuff like this in a film. Um, So yeah, that's my interesting. Who directs it? Is it like a known director? Uh, Daniel Waters, I think. Or he might have Mm. just done the script. I'm not hundred percent certain. Yes, he did the script. It was directed by Michael Lerman. Ah. Lemon. Um, who? Let's see. So I'm just else? trying to see if there was anything else. That... He did. Uh, oh, he did Forty Days and Forty Nights, which I've also previously spoken about. I have. Oh. Which I also haven't seen. Yeah. By the by, mm. I will get through these films eventually and be <laughs> up to speed. Mm. Um, and just in time for Pride Month, I love my dead gay son. <laughs> um, what a line. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, you're gonna go for strong titles then. Yeah, that's one. Um, yes, rounding out my. Um, <laughs> we've heard the term "strong female lead," but this is my strong male lead uh, trilogy. Um, is Memento. Ooh. Um, I am a Nolan fanboy. I hold my hands up. I think everything that he does is fantastic, um, to varying degrees, but all very all fantastic in my mind. Memento has that be one of my absolute favorites though i feel like that is just in its own i wouldn't say in, in its own league in terms of like quality it's just seen it just has its own voice and style which is very whereas now you've you you're like that's a nolan that's a nolan but was that i i don't think if people didn't know i don't know if they would necessarily 
equate it. I think it definitely has his hallmarks there, but because it was one of his earlier films, he, maybe he didn't have his sort of like tried and true sort of way of going about things, but it's just so stylistic. If we're going to talk about non-linear narratives, mm-hmm. that is right up there. It's just so geniusly structured. Um, but ultimately it's about a man seeking revenge on the rape of his wife, but I can't remember if it's the murder and rape of his wife. I believe it um, is as well. Yeah, I think it is. Um, and it's for a revenge film, the, the construction of it being that he has amnesia and he can't actually remember anything other than that he is seeking revenge is just, it's just so smart. Um, and for those that haven't sort of seen it, I don't want to spoil too much, but ultimately, you know, from the very beginning that he uses tattoos to help remember things. Um, it's just the exact sweet spot for me in terms of the type of story, the type of narrative, the way that it's told. Um, the cast are also fantastic. Um, Carrie Ann Moss is in that one as well. And what's Joe's last name? Pantoliano. Begins with pantiano he's just that character actor that i i used to see and then i see him more and more and i'm like i love this guy whenever he turns up i'm like i love this guy (laughs) um and guy pierce is 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 the main is our main character so um yeah i mean if you haven't seen that already and you're even if you're lukewarm on chris nolan i really really recommend it i love calling chris like he's my pal (laughs) anyway that concludes i'm I'm like not three. a big Nolan fan, but I and I didn't love Memento, but I did enjoy it. And like as a piece of filmmaking, like you can not like you have to respect it. Like it's mm. it's mm-hmm. so well crafted. It hangs together beautifully. Very unique like, as well. Yeah. So you have to respect. It's interesting um, that not many people have copied it, and I wonder it was because they know that they will not be able to do it justice. Yeah, and it's like such a, a carbon copy as well that everyone will just be like, "Oh, you're just doing Memento." Mm. Like mm. it's a fit because it was quite unique and different. Mm. Um, I was going to be even more basic and um do Inglorious Bastards as my third. Ah. Um, but I've been a little bit inspired by James, so I'm going to do like a kind of smaller film that like people won't have seen. Mm. Um, and it's also you know female. Boo, boo, boo. Um, so it's an Irish film called Rose Plays Julie. Um, I saw it at LFF in 2019 um, and it got a release, I believe, in either 2020 or 2021. It got a wider release. Um, I think it is on one of the streamers, or it was at one point. Um, So it follows a young Irish vet student who goes off to college to learn to be a vet. And she tries to um, discover her biological mother because um, she was given up for adoption. And she tries to connect with her and learn why was she given away um, because her mother is a rich and famous actress. Um, and she learns that she's the product of rape. And so then she sets out to figure out who it was that raped her mother. Um, and it's a tale of revenge. It's very quiet, very subtle, very meditative. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I was really taken by it. Um, I hadn't seen that many Irish films at the time. It was kind of my introduction to like the Irish film industry. It's great. And it's just got really strong performances. It pretty much hangs on the three main characters. And it like again, that use of silence. Um, so if you want to take the chance on a smaller film. Mm. That That sounds interesting. And I just had a look. It's apparently on BFI player at the moment. There we go. 
Lovely stuff. Um, yeah. I also just wanted to mention a few um, that were on my potential list. Promising Young Woman was definitely on there. Kill Bill mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. also on there. And then um, my boyfriend introduced me to Dead Man's Shoes Ooh. when we first started dating. Um, what is the guy that did This Is England? Um, Shane Meadows. The director. Yeah, it's a Shane Meadows film. Very harrowing. Very, like, just a fantastic, like, sort of character work. You recognise people from it. Um, very yeah. low budget. Just very masterful in its storytelling. Um, yeah, just really, really impactful. It's essentially, I, I can't even really tell you too much about what it's about because it will spoil it, but it's a guy going back um, to his hometown um, seeking revenge for uh, on on this like sort of like gang of guys and what they've done to his to his younger brother who has learning dis- uh, difficulties and disabilities, um, and it's got um oh my Paddy Considine is the main mm-hmm. is the main guy seeking revenge. It's just yeah, it it hits hard. So it's one of those ones you have to be in the right mood for. But I really do recommend it if you like Shane Meadows other stuff or you like those kind of films. So that was my honourable mention. Nice, awesome. Okay, fantastic stuff. Okay, so I think that um, so that wraps it up for us for um, Blood Rain. Couldn't even remember the name of the film. Um, <laughs> that memorable. So there we go. Yeah. Well, um, let us know if you've seen it. Um, let us know if you want to give it a go now, or if you've seen any other Bowl films. Definitely. Let us know if you played the game because I would yeah. like to. I'd love to hear that opinion. Yeah, if you played the game and then what your opinion was on on the film, if you've seen both as well, um, yeah, I, I can't say I've I've picked up on hearing anyone, but maybe we should um, ask um, around on our Twitter community or other people that we know and, and see if they've played it. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at wratedpod or one word, and on Letterbox at wrated um, with a space between the W and the R. James, do you want to tell us where we can find you and if there's anything that you want to Give a, give a bit of a plug for? Uh, sure thing. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter or Letterboxd, I'm at RoddersJ04. That's spelt with two Ds. And I write my reviews at thereviewingrodders.co.uk. I also put like any articles I write or any podcast appearances I make in there. Um, so yeah, go check that out if you've got no time or you're bored or something. No, make time. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm not your parent. <laughs> fair play, fair play. We're saying make time. We are. Um, your parents. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we are your parents now. Um, Claire, where can we find you? Just be hanging, lurking around the the W rated Twitter. Covid free. Um, interact with me on the W rated Twitter because I'm not very good at twittering over there. So like make me respond to stuff unless you're a creep <laughs> if you're a creep i won't respond <laughs> maybe that's why because <laughs> everyone's a creep everyone's a creep <laughs> come show us you're not creeps people that listen um you can find me on twitter and instagram at um sorry no you can find me on twitter at daisy vic edwards and on instagram letterboxd daisy victoria edwards um and yeah i'm i'm really not I've, I'm not really there's nothing really interesting going on my on my life I won't be complaining about moving anymore because I've done that I won't be complaining about my course anymore because I've done that but I do think we're picking up on the film again uh the short film that we're making so maybe some interesting updates there so um yeah the, drop us a drop us a message about films I don't know do what you want 
<laughs> thank you for tuning in everyone if you enjoy listening to our podcast uh, but we would love it if you can give us a follow or a subscribe um and any ratings or reviews as well we love um reading um what you guys think about the podcast um, and we hope you can join us for the next episode we're going to take on another worst rated film and we'll see you then bye